Greetings, oddballs. I'm Quest. I'm Shay. And this is Tis Odd Podcast. So we hope that you guys are staying inside and only breathing filtered air because that's what we're doing. Um, Shay took the gamble of leaving her house today to come over to my house and, you know, so we could record. But as of right now, the air quality is not good. It looks like Fallout New Vegas outside. We are not okay with it. So our prayers definitely go to Canada. We really hope that you guys will get it together, you know. See, this wouldn't happen if you guys had guns. I'm just saying. <laughs> just shoot the fire. That's what we do here in America. <laughs> that was for Dre. <laughs> I have a pretty awesome case today. We're going to discuss the first serial killer of the season. I believe. If I'm thinking. Yeah, it is our first serial killer. This time to think about it for a second. Let's get into it. I'm so excited. I love hearing about serial killers. And you said his name earlier, but I don't remember if I've heard of him before. So I'm pumped. Yeah, this was based in the, uh, he was mostly active in the 80s and 90s. Big shocker, right? And he, his name, his like notorious famous name is the Coast to Coast Killer because he's, all of his victims are across across America in like a bunch of different states. Well, the guy we're discussing is Tommy Lynn Sells. He was born June 28th, 1964 in Oakland, California. He had a twin sister along with five other siblings in his family. His mother, Mina is her name, was a single mother. When Tommy and his twin sister were five months old, though, they both contracted meningitis. And unfortunately, Tommy's little sister, or twin sister, I should say, passed away from meningitis. And it is known, or it is believed, that Tommy suffered brain damage from the meningitis at five months old. Yeah, that that happens all the time. I wouldn't have even thought of that being a factor and maybe what's wrong with him. Yeah, that's a big theory with this. I mean, because like, I don't think it's confirmed that that's what happened or why it's led him to be so um, violent and crazy. But I would bet money that that's probably what happened. Because people go blind from meningitis. People go, well, no, that's the measles, isn't it? Or is it meningitis? I can't remember, honestly. I know measles is a big, you know, that's a big thing with people going blind, but I don't know. Meningitis. Meningitis, I think you, um, it's possible to go deaf because that's, you know, that's up there by the brain. So, yeah. So at the age of two, Mina's sister took Tommy in for a while. Um, Mina struggled a lot, like financially. She was also not, not a very good mom. I mean, you'll see that later on, but she just really was not a good mom. Um, so she let her sister take Tommy for a little while and nothing really came of that. I mean, his aunt was actually tossing around the idea of adopting Tommy for a while, which might have been good for him because he would have had a stable home and like someone who actually like paid attention to him. But no information has come out about that other than he just started out with a really rocky childhood. Things progressively got worse. So at the age of seven, he started drinking. 
Yeah. He started getting drunk at age seven. Same. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I could not even imagine drinking at age seven. I really can't. Like, I don't, I mean, I really don't drink now. But back, even back when I used to drink, like thinking about that age seven, I'm trying to even think where I was at age seven, what I was doing at age seven. At age seven, I was crawling around in Grandma Terry's backyard under blueberry bushes, picking picking a bunch of blueberries. Who would have thunk it? But alcohol definitely was not on the menu for me whenever I was seven years old. It's not now. I'm actually 102 days sober today. Heck yeah. So write that down in your diary tonight. Sweet. So like I said, age seven, he started drinking. At age eight, what the hell is going on outside? My God. They're freaking shredding trees outside. This is what the this is what we have to deal with, guys. It's literally one o'clock in the afternoon on a Thursday, and there's people outside shredding trees. That's prime working hours, though. Like you can't complain about that. I can, and I am right now. Like we're trying to record. You hear that, guys? They might not. You hear it. I know you do, because I can hear it. It's all right. All right. Well, anyway. So his mother, this is one of the reasons why I believe she was a horrible woman. She let Tommy be molested by a man so she could get money. And he was only eight when this happened. So, and then at the age of 10... He was drinking and he started using drugs like regularly. There was one instance where he had snuck into his grandmother's bedroom while she was sleeping and got undressed and like laid next to her naked. And shortly after that, his mother left town with it with his siblings and just completely abandoned him there. And <clears throat> and this is when he was just a teenager. So in my mind, it's as if his mother caused these issues, caused these trauma, uh, caused this trauma and sexual issues with him and was like, oh, crap, like, I don't, this is not good. I don't want to deal with this. And she just left, like, and just left him alone. Yeah. And people will always say, you can't control what type of person you're going to raise. Like, you know, sometimes it doesn't have anything to do with the parents. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes... The parents are not to blame, but most of the time you're to blame. Okay. For some reason, the things that you did when you were raising your kid turned them into a piece of freaking crap. So I don't know, maybe take a second to think before you sell your seven-year-old son, rather eight-year-old son. Crazy thought, but that doesn't normally turn out the best human beings. No, I believe it would be impossible if he turned out to be a good human being. Um, so after he was abandoned, Tommy just continued to wander around and live a nomadic lifestyle. But um, on May 19, in May of 1981, he reunited with his family for just a short period of time in Little Rock. However, his mother quickly threw him out of the house after he stripped naked and tried to join her in the shower. Makes sense. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, I mean, that right there, that's just what you get. So... <laughs> Um, eventually these acts led to him, um, to his first arrest 
at the age of 18 for public intoxication. He also had charges for assault, burglary, larceny, anything like that, like smaller charges. But they just started to rack up starting at age 18. Now, Tommy claims his first kill was at the age of 15. Now, this is not confirmed. This is a story from him that he noticed through a window that a man was abusing a younger boy. And he said it triggered something in his head and like reminded him of when he was younger and was abused. And so Tommy entered the residence through the open win- through an open window and shot the man to death. Although the story was never confirmed. It was confirmed that his first kill was or could be in 1983 when he moved to St. Louis. How old was he in 1983? So, yeah, in 1983, he was 19. Um, and it's confirmed that when he moved to St. Louis, he murdered a woman and her daughter by beating them to death with a baseball bat. That was his first confirmed kill or kills. In 1987, in Nevada, Tommy picked up a woman named Stephanie Stroh while she was hitchhiking. Um, The two of them did LSD together, and then Tommy strangled her to death, covered her body in concrete, and put her in a mine shaft. That's pretty much how I imagine the end of every LSD trip to be. Like, when I think of somebody doing LSD... It's like, okay, so, like, who did you murder afterwards? <laughs> yeah. I, I can, like, literally have no desire to do anything like that. But anyway, um, and though, and honestly, her body was actually never recovered. Um, they confirmed that she she was killed, but they are just going off of what they told, going off of what he told the police later. So a short time later, Tommy was hitchhiking himself in Illinois when a man named Keith Gardine was nice enough to pick him up and offered to take him back to his place for a hot meal. And unfortunately, they never got to the meal because they pulled in the drive and Tommy shot Keith in the head twice. And this is gross, so just be ready. Then he removed his genitals and then shot him again in the head to finish him off. Unfortunately, Keith's son was also in the home at the time. So he was bludgeoned to death with a baseball bat. Keith's pregnant wife was there as well. Unfortunately, she was beat so badly that she went into labor immediately and had her daughter, who was also killed. So the details of this case, of that particular case, were so gruesome I couldn't find every single detail, which I'm glad because I didn't really want to know about it. Um, And and that's pretty rare for me because normally I want to know every single thing that happened just because I'm curious. But something like that, like I would like to move on from it pretty quick because I don't want to like linger on that. But it's pretty rough. Yeah, I don't want to. There's no need to dwell on something like that. That is. That's disgusting. Yeah. Wow. So. In Charleston, West Virginia, close to home, a woman named Fabian Witherspoon, um, who was 19 at the time, in 1992, she discovered cells begging on the street corner, and so she brought him into her home and tried to help him. Well, she was attacked shortly after. She described basically what had happened was he, because she did survive this attack, um, which is I think it was the only one that ever survived. 
what had happened was she told him to wait outside the residence while she went inside to pack up some food for him. And while she was getting the food packed up, he comes in, shuts the door, and they're alone in this apartment together. He grabs a knife from the kitchen and approached her. And he told her what to do, like, go to the bathroom. Don't don't make a sound. So she did, like, she did what, what he told her to do. But she then realized he was going to try to rape her. So she decided to fight back. And she got the knife away from him for a few minutes and stabbed cells multiple times. Yeah! Yeah, it was pretty epic. So stabbed him multiple times. He was injured and he grabbed a piano stool and hit her over the head with it. But And then Tommy tried to get away. So, But he was injured so extensively, he ended up in the ICU. And that's when the police arrested him for that. Um, and then Witherspoon had a gaping cut on her head and a cut on her hand, which was so bad it needed surgery. Tommy accepted a plea deal for this attack. And so he got a malicious wounding charge. He served five years in prison and then was let out. Are you serious? Five years? Yeah, five years for that. And it's like, there was literally nothing that Witherspoon could do about it. I mean, she was like really ticked off because she knew he was going to do it again. But there was nothing that she could do. When she was actually interviewed uh, about five years after this attack, and she stated in her interview that she feels like she feels like it was his it was her fault that he moved on to to smaller more vulnerable prey because he didn't want to be put in that situation again where he could get hurt so she feels like it was her fault that he moved on to children that is so sad that she blames herself for that like don't blame yourself because you survived a terrible ordeal yeah there's no easy way to you know to process that but i mean just getting through that attack is hard enough, but putting that blame on yourself is not cool because he would have done it anyway. That's just the way it was. Throughout the years, Sells would travel across the country and he would continue to target couples, young women, and children. His choice of weapon at the time was the thirty-two caliber pistol and a baseball bat that he used to bludgeon people with. He also committed throat slashings, stabbings, and mutilations with a specific knife that he had for years and years and years. He used the same one. He would sharpen it over and over and over. That was discovered later. Um, The majority of those victims were female victims, and they were raped and sexually assaulted almost all the time. Nearly all of his victims were mutilated. One victim was revealed to have even been run over by a train. Um, And occasionally... He would steal from his victims, but mostly his main focus was murder and rape. So he did this just because he wanted to, not because he needed the money or anything. It was just, he did it for fun. He's just, he's just a monster, a straight up downright monster. This is why people don't want to do nice things for anybody anymore. Cause there's monsters like this in the world. Yeah. And, and there are lists of victims that you can look up and everything, but there are so many and we'll discuss how many later. But I didn't want to go through all of them because we would be here for probably years (laughs) going over this. So I'm going to skip ahead to the most important part of this story when he finally got caught. So in Del Rio, Texas, in 1999, December 30th, Sells entered the home of the Harris family. 
The Harrises lived in a trailer just west of San Antonio, Texas, kind of out in the desert, away from everything. Um, and he, they had their sons and their two daughters. They attended Grace Community Church, and that's where they met Tommy. And he was married at the time, and he was a car salesman. Somebody married him? Did they know about his a malicious wounding charge? I don't know for sure. There's nothing about his wife on there. But I'm assuming that she's probably a piece of crap, too. Really? Like, you don't think she's just kind of like thick in the head and not paying attention to anything? Easily smitten or what? No, because he is just so creepy and so inappropriate. Like, socially, he's socially awkward and inappropriate. And he's, like, antisocial as well. So, like, he's got all these issues. So, you couldn't, he could not hide all that from her. No, you're exactly right. That's very true. And he hasn't even been able to go five minutes of meeting somebody without wanting to bludgeon them to death or stab them to death or rape them. I want to know that love story. I want to know how in the world did they meet and him not be like, you know what, I I think I want to strangle you to death. No, instead he was like, we should do this again. Like, I'm really confused. Yeah, the only thing I can guess is he had a moment where he turned over, tried to turn over a new leaf because he's attending this church. He's got a steady job as a car salesman. He has a wife. Um, and I'm not sure the dis- the length of time between his last kill, his previous kill, and then his last kill. But I don't know. That would be interesting to know because I couldn't find anything about their love story. But I would guess it's probably not a very good one. <laughs> So, so anyway, though, um, Tommy actually had been to the Harrises to discuss um, marital issues with the Harrises. Uh, Terry is the uh, father. And said so he talked to the Mr. and Mrs. Harris about it. And then on that night of December 30th, Sel saw the opportunity to attack new victims in the Harris home. Crystal Serrells was visiting one of the daughters of the Harrises. Her name was Kaylee Harris. Um, <clears throat> and they were there celebrating New Year's Eve together and having a little slumber party. Crystal's sister, Marquis, was also there. She wanted to just hang out with her older sister, Crystal, and her friend and wanted to be cool. You know, like, I remember being like that with you, wanting to uh, be part of the older kids, you know. Marquis wanted to sleep on the floor in the same room with Crystal and Kaylee which they slept on bunk beds. But Crystal told her, was like, no, 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 you sleep in the room across the hall. Like, you're not cool like us, you know? So that's just how it was, you know? There's a three-year difference, just like me and you, too, so. (laughs) That hits home, ouch. (laughs) Uh, And Marquis was upset and stated later she was so angry with her sister. She said she just laid there and was just fuming because she wanted to be in that room with them. And then enters Tommy. He comes in through an open window and walked into a bedroom where he saw 13-year-old Kaylee Harris asleep on the bottom bunk. Tommy took Kaylee from her bed, stood her up, covered her mouth with his hand, um, but Katie started to make noises, which it did actually wake up Crystal. And Crystal stated later that she looked down and saw him slit Kaylee's throat, and she collapsed on the floor. At first... Tommy didn't notice that 10-year-old Crystal was sleeping on the top bunk. Um, He was cleaning up 
and was just about to leave, he turned around to look at the la- look at the room for the last time, and he noticed Crystal was on the top bunk looking at him. Oh, the fear that must have gone through her poor little body. Oh my gosh. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah. But when he realized that she was there, he reached for Crystal, and he slit her throat as well while she was on the top bunk. And she collapsed on the floor next to Kaylee. So while Tommy was wiping off his fingerprints, um, he actually took two screens out of the windows because I guess he didn't want to leave fingerprints. And um, he took them with him along with his 12-inch hunting knife that he regularly sharpened. And they he drove off and then dumped all that stuff in a field later. It was later reported that the 12-inch knife had been sharpened so many times that the blade was actually worn completely thin, like hair thin. So it was clearly like his weapon of choice at the time. Wow. Okay, great. However, 10-year-old Crystal was clever enough to pretend that she was dead. While Tommy was leaving, a voice told her that she needed to get up. She was like, you need to get up. You need to get help. Because Kaylee was laying there and she was making like noises at first. So she was, she wanted to comfort her and say like, everything's going to be okay. But she realized she couldn't talk because he had cut her vocal cords. So she got up, she kept her hands on her throat and she just started to walk out of the house. She made her way a quarter of a mile to the next neighbor and knocked on the door. And the neighbors kept saying like, who is it? Who is it? Because it's in the middle of the night, you know, but she couldn't say anything. So she was just like kept knocking. Eventually, they did open the door. And here's little 10-year-old Crystal standing in her pajamas, covered in blood with her hands over her throat. She was able to write out a message that said, we need help at the Harris home. And the police showed up shortly after. Oh, my I'm sitting on the edge of my couch. I cannot believe. Oh, she survived. I'm dying to know what happens to Kaylee. Like, I'm dying to know. Crystal, later at the station, was able to give the police a really good description of the killer. Based on the sketch they had come up with, Crystal identified Tommy in that picture. Um, She's like, I know this guy. Because he had been to that home, and the, he goes to that same church, and Crystal was like, yeah, I know this guy. So, and of course, she was in the hospital, and she's, her mom was interviewed at one point and said that she just kept asking, like, how's Kaylee? How's Kaylee doing? How's Kaylee? Yeah. But they wouldn't answer her because she, she passed away. Like, she was pretty much uh, killed immediately. I was like holding on to hope. I was like, if Crystal made it and she thought Kaylee was making noises, like maybe she made it. Ah, I'm so upset now. So when the police approached Tommy two days after the attack, he immediately confessed. He was like, I'm so glad I've finally been caught. Like, I don't want to hurt any more people. Like, thank you for catching me. And he's just really weird. So in that same day, he took the police back to the Harris residence in a videotaped interview, showing he did like a walkthrough explaining what he did on on videotape. And he was like happy to do it. He was like not sad. Not, he was just like almost excited to do it. It was very strange. What the freak is wrong with this? I don't understand that. Okay. So you're like, 
oh, thank you for catching me. I'm just so tired of doing Dude, you could have turned yourself in at any moment. At any moment, you could have turned yourself in. I don't understand. And you clearly, you're a psychopath. You don't feel, you don't feel any emotions that we normal people do. You're not going to feel stress and anxiety. Your heart rate probably stays completely level, whether you're making yourself a sandwich or whether you're slitting, whether you're slitting someone's throat. So, It's not like, oh, I want to turn myself in, but I'm too nervous. No, you don't feel that. If you don't want to be killing anybody and you want to be caught, then turn yourself in. That makes no sense. Yeah, and uh, remember Edmund Kemper, he also did the same thing. He wanted to be caught and like he ran away and he was like, oh, they're going to catch me. But they never did. So he did turn himself in because he was tired of it. He's like, I want to be caught. And I think there's a lot of excitement that comes with that, too, that he was looking forward to. And I'm sure that Tommy uh, Sells felt the same way. Yeah, like, and Ed Kemper is another prime example of somebody with a crappy mom that did bad things, exposed him to bad things, and was just an all-around not a good person. I mean, I'm if you don't like that I'm saying that, then whatever, get over yourself. But I'm just saying, Ed Kemper went through some freaking stuff whenever he was a kid, It doesn't grant him permission to be a psychopath when he's an adult. But I'm just saying that's another example. Yeah. And um, in Kaylee's injuries, uh, post-mortem, they they did an autopsy, obviously. um, And they discovered that she was not only her was her throat slit, but she was stabbed multiple times in her in her torso. Oh, okay. Gosh, that's awful. Yeah, so there was really no way she was going to make it. They also discovered that she had some mutilation done to her body post-mortem. So uh, there's no details about what exactly that was done, but you can use your imagination if you want. I really hope Crystal didn't, like, see that, that post-mortem mutilation because, oh, that's awful. It's hard to tell. Um, But, I mean, the way I'm picturing it, you know, she's on the top bunk. I'm sure that she was probably, like, trying to stay hidden maybe she said the light was on so like in the bedroom like he had turned the light on so she knew and which is one of the reasons why she woke up but she said that whenever she was um when her throat was slit when she was standing there she was already covered in blood so it's very possible he had stabbed her a couple of times and kept her quiet and then finally she was like i'm gonna make some noise you know and Obviously, the DNA testing confirmed that it was Tommy Lee, Tommy Lynn Sells that committed these murders. Um, and Crystal did a amazing job testifying in court. She was like, I want to do it. You know, 10-year-old girl up there. And she's just, I mean, emotional, obviously. Um, but you can watch the interview. And I actually am going to show you a couple videos of that in a little while. And it makes it's very emotional because she's... You know, they're asking her all these questions like, well, why did you do this? Why did you do that? And she's just like, she's a scared little girl. And she's just trying to explain, like, I was scared. I was scared and blah, blah, blah. So, like, I highly encourage everybody to go watch those videos. Let's We'll get the, the link, the YouTube link, and we'll put it in the, the um, episode description. So, Tommy was sentenced to death for his murder of Kaylee Harris and Mary Perez. Mary Perez was a nine-year-old girl that he had also murdered. 
And I don't have very much information about her, unfortunately. And throughout the years, Sells tried to delay the death sentence by confessing to the crimes, uh, confessing to crimes that he had done in the past. And just like one after the other, like, oh, well, I did this one too. And I did this one. She, he just kept pushing it back, pushing it back. And some of the murders were confirmed and then some of them weren't. But all in all, so far, they've counted up over 22 kills across the country, coast to coast. So on April 3rd, 2014, Sells was finally put to death by lethal injection. And when he was asked if he had any last words, he just said no. And he didn't show any kind of remorse. Uh, Apparently, a couple of his friends were there. Um, I don't know who would want to be friends with him, but a couple of his friends were there in the audience and he like smiled at them and he just had like no remorse on his face whatsoever. And um, Kaylee's brother was there and he was in his 20s at the time. And of course, he was just like interviewed later on asking like his reaction of it and everything. And he's like, I wish he would have suffered more because it was way too fast and way too like calm for him. And Mary Perez's grandmother was also there. And she was interviewed and she basically said the same thing. She's like, I just wish he would have suffered a little bit more because my little girl, you know, my granddaughter suffered way more than he did. They should have laid him down on a board and killed him by taking each of his limbs and twisting them around and around and around until eventually the bone fragments and the bleeding out just like slowly killed him. That's what they should have done. Mm-hmm. because you're a piece of freaking garbage. A nine-year-old little girl, she didn't do nothing to you, man. Oh, man, that makes me sick to my stomach. Yeah, and he never showed any kind of remorse for any of his kills, ever. Like, he just, he would have just kept going, and psychologists did interview him, and they did studies on him, and they confirmed, like, this guy would have kept killing forever yeah. until he was found, and, you know, unless he was caught, so... Thank God they did put him to death because he would have something could have happened and he could have escaped or something could have fell through the cracks and he could have gotten out and killed more people. Yeah, I got no problem with the freaking death penalty either because of things like this. Like there's always going to be stupid loopholes in our justice system that are going to allow monsters like this to go out into the street. We see it all the time. These serial rapists, these serial molesters, these sick pedophiles, and that's what they are. Don't call them anything else because they're pedophiles. Don't let them fool you. Anyway, they always end up somehow getting a bunch of money to this crappy, slimy lawyer. And the lawyer's like, oh, well, this officer did this and this. So you got to let him go. Nope. How about this? You kill somebody, you touch a little kid, you're dead. Night night. No more. No more. Bye. Yeah, because I mean, what contribution to society do you have? You know? Absolutely nothing. And I think the majority of, of America would agree with us. The majority. And there are some, obviously, that don't, but. Even if they don't want to say it out loud, I'd say that there's part of them that do- that would agree. And if they don't agree, then maybe they haven't gone through something like this before or seen something like that firsthand, that human beings have the capacity to be absolute disgusting animals. And some animals need to be put down. So that's perfectly said. That's exactly what I'm thinking. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the uh, that's the story of Tommy Lynn Sells. Well, it was a really good story, but also wretched and disgusting. So thank you. 
You're welcome. Quest, do you want to give the ending remarks? I would love to. Okay, so make sure you're following us, once again, on our social medias. You don't want to miss any pictures or updates. Uh, the Facebook page is Tizod Podcast, and the Instagram is at Tizod Podcast. Please leave us a review on Facebook. We really appreciate it. And leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you listen to us. Feel free to shoot us an email with any kind of comments, questions, or episode suggestions. The email is tizodpodcast at gmail.com. And just letting y'all know, my stream is popping off, so you might want to follow. It is Mouthy Mickey on Twitch, capital M's. Um, you can chat with me if you want to play some Call of Duty. Just drop it in there. Let me know. All right. Well, until next time. Adios, Adios sodballs. Balls.